Welcome back to another T-Rex talk. Today we're going to be talking about three different topics. Uh, none of these topics seem big enough for an entire episode. I mean, it could be if I had <laughs> done a little more research. But also there's just been a lot going on over the past week. So we're going to be talking about the ATF uh, Brace Short Barreled Rifle Ban Registration Trap Scheme. We haven't talked about that in a couple weeks and there definitely have been some developments. We're also going to talk about Chinese spy balloons, because that's all that anybody is really talking about at the moment. And we're going to be talking about uh, a recent gun rights drama. This question, are gun rights for everyone? Causing a little bit of confusion and consternation, so we'll get into that. But first, let's talk about uh, what the ATF is up to and uh, the new final rule change on short-barreled rifles and pistol braces. The last time we talked about uh, this particular final rule change on pistol braces and short-barreled rifles, it had not yet been entered into the federal registry, but now it has. It was filed on January 31st, which means that the deadline for compliance is May 31st. So if you have not uh, destroyed your pistol brace or removed it from the rifle, because uh, now it's a rifle, it's not a pistol anymore. If you haven't gotten rid of that thing or filed the appropriate paperwork, the Form 4, to get uh, your thing converted to a proper SBR legally, because uh, the ATF has declared it to be an SBR uh, illegally, you will be in trouble. You will be, uh, you'll be out of compliance on May 31st. The other thing that's happened since uh, we talked about this on the last episode is that a lot of lawsuits have been filed against the ATF. Uh, a lot of lawsuits are, are directly targeting this, uh, this rule change. Um, there's some legislation pending. There's a whole bunch of different things going on. And so there, the movement that has happened on this particular issue is, I think, really, really good. And I'm optimistic about it. Uh, the other thing that I want to talk about is a mistake. I need to correct a couple of errors from that episode. One was that I talked about a time in the past when the United States government sold a whole bunch of surplus M1 Garands uh, or M1 Garands, and uh, then they had to change the actual language of the 1934 National Firearms Act because they were short-barreled rifles. Now, I was actually uh, incorrect about that. It's true that the government sold a lot of M1 Garands, but that did not have a 16 and a quarter inch barrel. All of those rifles had an 18-inch barrel. Uh, what I was actually trying to talk about was the M1 carbine. That was the technically short-barreled rifle that the U.S. government sold to many, 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 many citizens. And then they realized that they had sold them illegal short-barreled rifles. And um, they changed the language of the text. They changed the National Firearms Act from 18 inches minimum barrel length down to 16 inches minimum barrel length because that was better than making felons of a whole bunch of American citizens who had bought something that the government said that it was okay to buy, much like pistol braces today. The other correction I have is regarding the 88-day background check window. Uh, that window only opens once the ATF starts processing your paperwork. And how that window actually closes is complicated, and I misunderstood that. But in my defense, uh, I know that some ATF agents also misunderstand that, and so my recommendation is uh, to not worry about that too much. Just wait until 
the window that you have for the actual amnesty period is uh, less than 88 days. That will simplify things for you and for the ATF. Now, that being said, I'm not actually offering you any legal advice. I have not become a lawyer since the last episode that we talked about this, so I'm still not a lawyer, and I'm still not giving legal advice. I'm not even giving you a recommendation of what is best to do. I will just point out that the deadline for filing is a long way away, uh, and it is a trap. I'm not recommending your course of action one way or the other, but, but filing for the paperwork is a trap. And there's a whole bunch of lawsuits that have been filed, and there still is a fair amount of time before May 31st. So I'm recommending that you do nothing. I mean, I'm recommending nothing. Now, a bunch of people have also commented that uh, the ATF has run amnesties in the past, and they have been honest and true to their word in those amnesties. And I would point out that that is, in fact, true. However, those amnesties are a little bit different than what we're talking about with the pistol brace ban. The purpose of those ATF registration amnesties were specifically for uh, machine guns, machine guns that had not been registered, historical artifacts, things like the MG42 that uh, your grandfather brought back after World War II, and it sat in his basement, and he never registered it because he didn't know that he needed to, and then after he passed away, you inherited it, and now your opportunity to register that pre-1986 machine gun, that window had completely closed. And a couple of times, the ATF has opened the books back up. There's been an amnesty where you can register that machine gun legally without any consequences. And the ATF has indeed been true to their word. They have not dinged people afterwards. They've actually allowed them to register those. That is true. It's worth pointing out that the ATF has done this. However, this pistol brace fiasco, I think, is a very different thing, and I don't think we should think about it the same way we're thinking about these past machine gun amnesties. This is something that, again, covers 10 to 40 million Americans. There are 10 to 40 million pistol braces out there, and after 10 years of the ATF saying that a pistol brace is not a stock, they are now saying that for the past 10 years, all of us have been owning illegal SBRs think that the situation is a little bit different, and I think that it's an opportunity for them to build a de facto registry of 40 to 10 million devices, and that's probably what's going on there. So that's uh, something we're going to keep an eye on. Uh, I don't know that we'll have an a update every single week, but it's certainly the sort of thing that we will come back to several times because it uh, it's kind of a big deal. The next thing we're going to be talking about is, of course, Chinese spy balloons because everybody is talking about it. I only really have one point that I want to make, and that is that last week when the spy balloon was new and no one was really sure what was going on, the Pentagon organized a press conference, and the spokesman for the Pentagon, Pat Ryder, he talked about the fact that this was a Chinese spy balloon, but he would not tell the reporters where it was. And someone asked, well, does the public not have the right to know about the location of this balloon? And Ryder said, the public certainly has the ability to look up in the sky and see where the balloon is. So my interpretation of that comment is that the Pentagon has approved the public to, you know, acquire all the spotting scopes and radar devices that are necessary to keep an eye on our airspace. This is apparently now a private sector job. Uh, we should we should get on that. We should acquire some of these intelligence gathering tools because knowing where enemy aircraft is, that's uh, that's apparently our responsibility now. So my next question would be, are we allowed to shoot these enemy aircraft down? I haven't really kept up with all of the balloons that have been shot down this week because it is a surprisingly large number. We're up to four downed enemy airships 
uh, at the time of this recording, which is which is kind of weird. But the first one, I was keeping a, a closer eye on it, and it was it was between 40 and 60 feet up, which is really high. That's 15 to 20 kilometers. And I'm using kilometers because that's how model rocketry associations usually gauge the height of their rocket launches. I'd like to point out that student rocketry teams beat 20 kilometers all the time. So this is a very doable thing for students. This is a very doable thing for amateurs and the private sector. Now, I will say that it's not particularly easy. It's not particularly cheap. But, you know, sending a wing of F-22s up to fire multiple $400,000 sidewinders at weather balloons, uh, that's not cheap either. So, uh, again, the private sector may be the best solution for policing our airspace as the Pentagon has officially recommended by my interpretation. So that, I think, is, uh, is, uh, is the big takeaway here that we should, we should all have. Now, I'm actually kind of surprised that uh, the media has, has declared these to be from China. I'm actually not entirely sure that they are from China, and I'm very surprised the media didn't claim that they are spy balloons from Russia. Uh, that seems like it would be much more on brand for everybody at the moment. I really don't know what this means. Um, in the long term. It's another thing that bears uh, keeping an eye on. But one thing that is interesting is that NORAD has existed for 65 years. And in all of that time, they have never shot anything down until last week. And they've now shot four things down. I have no idea what's going on, but I'm getting very strong vibes of uh, people trying to distract me from stuff. And now we're getting on to the third topic of the podcast, which is gun rights. Now, we talk about gun rights a lot on this particular podcast because gun rights are something that matter a lot to T-Rex, well, I guess all T-Rex employees and T-Rex customers and, and those of you listening to the podcast. But uh, this past week or so, there's been a pretty large controversy over the kind of people who generally uh, talk about gun rights and uh, a fringe group of, I would say, more left-leaning gun enthusiasts. And the argument kind of goes like this. If you are pro-Second Amendment, uh, if you are pro-gun, then you must be pro-gun for all these other groups, for Antifa, for commies, for LGBTQ, etc. All of these groups, you need to be pro-gun for all of these groups as well. And if you are not actively including and arming these leftist groups, then you, you aren't actually 2A at all. And this is a complicated argument to weigh in on. A lot of people have, I think, assumed this, uh, this rather false equivalency and kind of gotten gotcha'd by the folks making the argument. Because we're really talking about two different things. If you're pro-2A, then you're talking about limited government, not infringing on pre-existing rights. And if you're talking about arming specific groups, then you're really talking about the forced acceptance of special interest group ideologies. These are two very different things. They're not actually the same. They don't actually go in the same equation. And I'll give you an example. What T-Rex is doing right now, and I'm not saying that you have to follow T-Rex's example in this, but as you're talking about this issue, maybe uh, T-Rex's example will be helpful. When T-Rex lobbies, right now we are lobbying the General Assembly of Tennessee. The legislature of Tennessee is now in session, and we have several bills that we would like to see passed into law. These are bills that would limit the authority of the state to infringe upon people's gun rights. They're pre-existing human rights to own firearms. These are bills that would extend firearm freedom to everyone. 
There are no exceptions for different groups. These firearm freedoms are for everyone. I'm just saying it twice, just so it's extra clear. But on the other hand, T-Rex Arms is also developing products and educational materials. And those are actually not for everyone. And these are two very different things. I don't believe that it is hypocritical or inconsistent to lobby for the government to get out of an area that is none of their jurisdiction and then want to provide product and education for people who actually want to defend life with these tools. And that's part of the reason that on the T-Rex website, uh, once you go to check out, there's a little checkbox. Uh, there's three checkboxes that get you a discount, a duty discount. And the first question that it asks is, is it true that you believe that you have a moral duty to defend innocent life where legally and morally possible? We've been very outspoken about the purpose of, of T-Rex products. We're wanting to increase the capability of people who are doing what is morally right and defending innocent life and doing justice, stopping evil and preserving good. And we would really like to make sure that our customers are actually interested in doing that. And uh, I'm not necessarily saying that every other special interest group on the left isn't interested in doing that, but there are several that aren't. Communists, for example, are not. And we can say that based on, you know, plenty of historical evidence about what communists do when they actually have lethal weapons and, uh, and enough lethal weapon capability. The defense of innocent life is not really on their to-do list. That's why when we make T-Rex product or T-Rex educational material, we're not really making that with communists in mind. But when we go to the state of Tennessee and we tell them that they should change their laws so that their jurisdiction is smaller, their power to actually infringe on people's God-given rights is less, that does apply to human beings who have human rights who you know, are also communists. This is not inconsistent and <laughs> this is not hypocritical. These are two different things. Now I would point out that there is a time and a place for the state, the magistrates of the state, the law enforcement of the state to actually disarm uh, some of these special interest group types of people. But it is not uh, when they own weapons or tools or objects. It is when they do things that are actually criminal with objects, whenever those objects are. I don't want baseball bats to be prohibited for uh, Antifa members. But I do want baseball bats to be removed from the hands of Antifa members when they're hitting people with them. That is something that the state could absolutely do. And I don't want baseball bat companies to market their bats specifically to Antifa members because they have like really good balance and good swing. I uh, would prefer that the baseball bat companies defend the rights of all individuals to own baseball bats and then market their baseball bats to people who play ball. Maybe that's a better uh, example than T-Rex. But I've seen this, this argument, this issue swirling around uh, the internet gun community for a while, and it just kind of flared up this last week. And Lucas Spotkin recorded some Instagram videos that you can go and watch, because I think that they state uh, the T-Rex position really well, and I think that he describes the argument that has been fomenting on the internet really well, probably better than I am. But I want to make just a couple of other points that I think might be helpful the difference between the individual who protects the life of the individual versus the special interest groups that protect their lifestyle, these are two different things. And it's, it's kind of a small difference, 
but I think it's worth pointing out. I think it is actually a difference that is worth mentioning. And the other thing is that there's this kind of bait and switch that happens where somebody says, if Second Amendment rights are absolute, then you must apply them to this group over here. And that's kind of a con that is happening there because the individual right to keep and bear arms is an individual right. And an individual who is a member of, say, Antifa, has that right because he is a human being made in the image of God that has that God-given right. He doesn't have that right because he's part of a group called Antifa. Antifa doesn't have group rights. Groups of drag queens don't have group rights. Groups of communists don't have group rights. But inside of all these groups are individual human beings that have human rights because they're made in the image of God and God has given his creations individual rights. They pre-exist. They aren't granted by government. This is really the big argument. And as we have talked about the Second Amendment in the past, there are a lot of people who have come out and said like, hang on, hang on, hang on. The Second Amendment is very important. We need to support it as widely as possible. We need a very big tent. We need to cast a very wide net. Talking about where rights come from is very uncomfortable and it's going to alienate a lot of people. You can attract a lot more support from a lot more people by just being vague. But I I reject all of that. And I think that as you can see by the the way that this debate has kind of played out recently, that um, there isn't as much value in being vague and imprecise as you might think. If you have this very mushy stance, uh, it's very hard for you to precisely state your position when a more complicated issue and question arises. And it's really easy to get got by kind of a trap question like this. If you aren't actually very clear in your mind what you're actually talking about, what you're actually defending, and being willing to be really bold. And I don't just mean obnoxious, I mean bold. There's a lot of people who are willing to be obnoxious when a complicated and very personal issue like this is brought up by people who are on the other side. But uh, that is not nearly as helpful as being clear and being precise and being really honest about the truth and being really bold to proclaim it very clearly. So as you discuss Second Amendment issues with different people on the internet, a lot of them are going to bring group rights into it. A lot of them are going to bring special interest groups into it. A lot of people are going to bring emotion into it. Be clear and be precise. And don't just take the pragmatic position of trying to win them over into thinking that guns are okay, when you could actually make a deeper and clearer and more valuable point occasionally at the, uh, the cost of getting yelled at and being called a bunch of names on the internet. But let's be honest, you should probably be kind of used to it by now. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world that I don't fully understand, like Chinese spy balloons and the ATF. But one thing that I do know very clearly is this. Now is a great time to stand up straight and speak the truth. Don't talk around the edge of the issue. Go straight to the heart of it. Figure out what is foundational. Figure out what the standards are. Be very bold about proclaiming those things. There's very few people doing that, and um, I would say the absence of that is being very keenly felt. I want to talk more about this point, actually, in next week's episode, which I think uh, is going to be about artificial intelligence. I've been researching artificial intelligence and experimenting with a couple of different generative models uh, for text and and for images, and... um, I think that they have a lot of implications that uh, all of us should be aware of. So hopefully I have uh, enough time to uh, get some thoughts together on that. And I'll talk to you next week.